Okay, good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Church of Grace. My name is Patrick Hayes. Today is Friday, February 3rd, and we are in the book of Jonah, and we're in part six. And uh, we don't have too many Bible verses we're going to be going through uh, tonight. That doesn't seem right. Usually we have 30 or 40, uh, so I have trouble believing that we're only going to hit three Bible verses other than Jonah chapter two. Um. With that, I had something else I wanted to say. Oh, yeah, we record this live. It's a video on our Facebook page and a YouTube channel. So if anyone needs to catch up on what we're talking about, you can find the Church of Grace Facebook page. The videos are there. Uh, you can find the Bible Thumper podcast YouTube page, and the videos are there. With that, I know we have several more people who are coming and have texted me and said they're late. So uh, as they come in, let's all... Just stare them down and roll our eyes and try to make them feel as guilty as possible. Yes, we got a question or a. Yes. OK, very good. Thank you very much. So um, we are going to start something new tonight for the teenagers. Now, Carlos is not here, but he's coming. And I understand that other than my children, there are two teenagers that are here. OK, but with that being said, uh, what we're going to start doing is whenever I'm asking questions, we're going to give the teenagers a chance to answer them first. Anytime they answer a question right, they get a gold star. My wife will be keeping track. Once they accumulate 100, I will have a pizza party at my house with milkshakes and watching a movie or playing video games or something. So uh, teenagers, take notes and answer the questions. Come on in, Serenity. You're good. Yeah. You got donuts. Wonderful. You know where they go? Okay. Yep. You've made it. You've, you've passed. We'll only roll our eyes at your dad. Go ahead. Head on back there. You know where you're going. So Carlos is coming in. I'll give the announcement one more time. It, it, it has to do with the teenagers. So you're going to want to you're going to want to hear this. Hey, Nick. Come on in, Ellie. You're good. That a girl. Go for it. You know where you're going. OK, Carlos, have a seat and you got to listen up. This has to do with you, buddy. So what we're doing is I am trying to encourage the teenagers to pay attention and be involved. And I am trying to bribe them with gifts of pizza and promises of movies and milkshakes. So what we're doing is while we go over these lessons, you all know I ask a lot of questions. So what I'm going to ask is that the adults do their best to raise their hand and I'm going to give the teenagers first crack at a question. If you get one right, you get a gold star. If you get one wrong, we're going to take half a star away. Okay. And I'm going to give you plenty of chances to answer questions. Once you accumulate a hundred of these, we will have a party at my house for the teens. You can invite your friends. We're going to have pizza and milkshakes and either play video games or watch a movie. And I don't know what movie other than something that everyone's parents find appropriate okay any questions on that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah he's not going to count <laughs> and no whispering answers to the teens okay so with with, with that being said <coughs> what's that yes all together yep so my goal is to make sure they have plenty of chances to get like say 10 or 12 questions a night which means you know, they'll be getting to party four, five, six times a year. Last question, and we're going to pray. 
No, you can't use a phone to look up the answer. <clears throat> and if I find that people are cheating in some capacity, there will be swift and immediate justice. <clears throat> okay, let's have a word of prayer and we're going to jump in. Lord, uh, we love you greatly. Uh, thank you just so very much that we can come to you in prayer. Uh, God, you are awesome uh, and powerful. You are kind and merciful. You are long-suffering. Uh, Lord, you are our creator and our savior. You are our king and you are our friend. And I'm grateful that you hear our prayers. Lord, at best, I am a wicked sinner. And uh, God, I am so grateful that your son went to the cross to die to forgive me of my sins. And Lord, I just want to ask now that you please forgive me of any shortcomings or failures of mine in this last week, any sins. I just want to you know, be in a right place with you tonight as we get into the Word of God. Lord, thank you for this place that we can meet. We have coffee and we have brownies and we have, we have so many types of desserts. I mean, Lord, we're just so grateful for your provision. Thank you for the folks that have shown up on a Friday night. There's so much to do. And uh, Lord, you bring people together here to study the Word of God, and that's so encouraging to me. Lord, we want to pray for uh, Daniel as he is down in Columbia visiting his family. We would just want to pray that he would be safe and you would bring him home safely to his wife and little little girl. Uh, Lord, we want to pray for Joe and Angela as they are out of town uh, traveling, I think, just down to Montrose to visit some family. And God, I just want to ask that you would be with us tonight. Uh, Lord, I, I know of some of our people here that had a great and are just, they're doing great and they're celebrating and other folks are going through a hard time. And God, I want to ask that you would please um, just speak to each of us individually. Give us what we need, whether it be encouragement, <clears throat> just to make it through this weekend and our next week and help us, Lord, to do your will and be more like you and less like us. We love you. Said. Amen. Okay. So we are in Jonah chapter two. And if you can do simple math, uh, you see that we are in part six and chapter two, which we are starting tonight is only 17 verses in, which means we go really slowly, but that's okay. Uh, anytime someone has a question, you just raise your hand. We love questions. I'm going to ask you lots of questions. Uh, don't be afraid to answer them wrong. Uh, or answer them with a question, um, and you're more than welcome to uh, uh, disagree with me and argue with me about whatever you want. Um, we we, uh, we encourage that as well. So we've gotten through Jonah chapter 1. There was a lot of excitement there, and now we're going to try to get through 10 verses this evening and get through Jonah chapter 2. That's the goal. So let's start by reading Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. I'm going to read all 10 verses if you want to follow along. And then we're just going to go through them a verse at a time, and we're going to talk about them, and uh, we'll see what we can learn. So in chapter 2, starting in verse 1, then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I. And thou heardest my voice, for thou hadst cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about all the billows, and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. 
The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption. O Lord, my God, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Oh, boy. Okay, so let's see. Question number one. All of chapter two sounds like a what? What does it sound like? Carlos? It sounds like a psalm. Very good. Okay, why does it sound like a psalm? Moses? Because it's from the psalms. Very good. Jonah is quoting a psalm in every single verse of chapter 2. He is going over the psalms, and I believe it was uh, two weeks ago when we went over what those verses were. And if you want a copy of my notes, just holler and I'll, I'll hand you one at the end of the night. But we see that Jonah, when he is in this place of distress and great fear and horrible discomfort, what does he do? He quotes the Bible. He quotes what he knows, the Psalms, which are the songbook for the Jews. Okay, we, we read about in the Psalms, there is direction to the musicians, direction to the uh, choir, uh, that we read about in the Psalms, and it's because they are uh, the songbook of the Jews. So, so Jonah, to bring himself comfort, quotes from uh, the, the hymnal, so to speak. All right, so Jonah prayed unto the Lord out of the fish's belly. <clears throat> Why is that important? Why is Jonah praying significant? Why is the fact that Jonah is praying significant? Washington? Okay, so I'm so that's that's good, okay, but I'm looking for something a little more specific. Did you have an idea, mom? Okay, so we're all in agreement that he was running from God. Now he's praying to God. Okay, and that's that's fair. Nick, what are you thinking? He is. We're all on, on the same page, Barb. Oh, man, you're, you're starting out, coming in strong. Okay, Julie? Lori. Sorry, Lori? You're right, okay? Everyone here so far, everyone's answer, except Barb, is right, but it's not what I'm looking for. And and here's the reason. Here's the reason. Okay. It is the first time in the book Jonah prays. He doesn't pray anywhere in the book up to this point. He it, now who has prayed a bunch in this book? Everybody. Yeah, every character in the book. All of the uh, mariners who were pagans, they all prayed. They all told him to pray. Everybody's praying, not Jonah, not until Jonah gets swallowed 
does Jonah start to pray? Okay, so that's why this is significant. So, so whatever everyone's answer pointed to the same idea, and that is that Jonah turned a corner. Jonah thought he was going to die. One sec, Joe. He was cast into the sea. He was swallowed by the fish. He probably believed that this was the punishment from God, and he was about to meet his maker. That's clearly conjecture, but that makes sense. He was, there is no way that you're cast overboard in the worst storm that any of these guys have ever seen, and then a giant sea creature starts swimming towards you and opens its mouth. You are clearly thinking, this is it. So, Jonah is turning a corner. Many people are willing to pray and have a desire to get right with God when they are on their deathbed. When they are about to face the electric chair, when they are in dire circumstances, all of a sudden they get perspective and they are ready to get right with God. Joe, what are you thinking? Mm hmm. Oh, yeah. Heavy and slow, right? Swimming with your clothes on. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. You're blacked out. Okay. So I'm really struggling with his journey to the bottom here. Mm hmm. So here's, here's what, here's what everyone struggles with. And this is what I'm going to draw out. Okay. So we have, we have chapter two, right? And there's 10 verses. Here's verse one. Here's verse 10. Verse 10 and verse one are bookends to this chapter. Verse one is the beginning explaining circumstances. Verse two starts a prayer. And this goes to verse 9. We all agree? The problem people have is they believe that since he started praying, everywhere in between verse 2 and verse 9, he must be alive. And I'm saying that's not the case. What I'm saying is Jonah dies. And we're going to see it very clearly because he explains where he is when he is praying. And he does not explain that he's in the belly of the fish. So we're going to see that. Well, and we're going to, and we're going to get into that. Washington, you got a question? And we're going to, we're going to get there. That's a good segue, but let me, <clears throat> let me keep going with into verse number two and let's get uh Let's get a, a verse or two under our belt. So, so in verse two, why did Jonah say that he cried out to God from the belly of hell? MacArthur? Because he was in hell. Okay, now we went over this last week. And we went over the idea of hell, 
and he describes the belly of hell. <clears throat> that word that we find is what word in Hebrew? Sheol. In Sheol, how many places are there? That word, hell, is translated from one Hebrew word and four Greek words throughout the Bible. They're all correctly translated hell, but we find out during last week when we had our study where all we talked about last week was hell. That was the whole study. What we find out when we get all the verses together from the whole Bible that are talking about hell, what do we find out? We find out that hell has multiple places. It's not just one big pot, okay? So can anyone explain to me or describe any of the places in hell? Well, this is actually a cassette tape, okay, where I teach. No, now, Nick made fun of me last week and said, okay, so Rick described one. We find one place talked about in the Bible, which is the pit, okay? Uh, what's another place we find when we're talking about hell? Okay, Hades, which is the, uh, I, I drew this way too small. Okay, so this is what we would call uh, and what we would consider hell whenever we think of it. It's the place of torment. What is in this place, which uh, is the place of torment? Um, nope. What do we find in this place of torment? There's lots of stuff down there. Carlos? Okay, we find fire. What else do we find down there? Okay, we find darkness. Very good. Okay, this is a bad place. What's this place over here? Washington. Very good. Abraham's bosom, also referred to as? Okay, paradise. And what do we find over here on this side? Okay, <laughs> we find the Bible describes it as a place of comfort. And there's one other thing that we know is there. Okay. I would give you light. Okay. Water. We find water there. And we find this talked about in Luke chapter 16, where Jesus goes over a story about Lazarus and the rich man, and they both die. One ends up in hell. One ends up in Abraham's bosom. And we see an interaction there. Jesus describes in great detail what hell is, where it is, how it works. So we went over this last week, so I don't feel like I have to get into it again. Just watch the video from last week. If nothing else, you'll be moderately less confused than you are right now. And what's this place right here? There's one more place. Nope. It is. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of the term in English that we used to describe it. No, Gehenna was the lake of fire. Tartarus is. Um, yeah. So we have the pit. And then we have Tartarus, which is, as I think Homer describes it, uh, it is as far below hell as the earth is below heaven. So this is a special place for one small group in the Bible that we find committing mischief in a few spots of the Bible. And uh, Barb, this is what you were thinking of before. This is the place where some of the fallen angels that we read about in Genesis 6 are cast into. 
Look, we are in the weeds right now, and I understand that. So good job staying with me. Let's try to rein it back in. The reason for this is when we talk about this, Jonah describes that he is in hell, Sheol. And this is where he is crying out to God from. Okay, let's keep moving, and I will try to tie it together a little bit uh, as we keep going. In uh, in uh, Jonah chapter 2, verse 2, Sheol. You got it. Anytime in the Old Testament hell is found, it's the word Sheol. The problem is it is used for both good people who die and bad people who die. Good and bad is not really the, okay, born-again people and people who are unsaved. No. In later on in the New Testament, so do you know what the ratio is for words of Greek to Hebrew as far as there are a number of words in the Greek language that far surpasses the number of words used in the Hebrew language, and the Greek language is much more specific and expressive. So that's why they have multiple words in Greek describing a different word for each part of what the Old Testament calls hell. Washington. Yes. So every time we read in the Old Testament, the word hell, we're talking about Sheol. That's the word. I just want everyone to be aware that you find that the righteous, the saved people end up down there. And it is not in a place of torment and fire. It is a, in a place of comfort. One last question. Bring it on in. No, that's good. I, I mean, I was hoping we wouldn't get past verse two. So let's keep this rolling, Nick. No, other than he was a prophet of God, the assumption would clearly be, okay, it talked, yep, well, and, he, and no, and here's the thing, I think the reason is Jonah is describing things that he sees, and we're going to, we're going to, believe it or not, we're going to get you more confused before the night's over. If I have, if I can accomplish one thing, I will make sure that you don't know what I'm talking about. All right, let's keep moving for a second. Uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. Okay, so Jonah was in this place when he cried out to God. I um, we're still in verse 2. Uh, I believe the Bible clearly states this. Jonah cried out to God from hell. That's what he describes. Uh, now, here, let me ask you a question, because this kind of came up before, and I just want to get into this from last week. Could, the word is could, Jonah have lived for three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish? Yes, he could. Obviously, he could have. That is, that should go without saying. A couple of weeks ago, I read two stories when this happened. You guys remember that? Okay, there are two accounts that I know of from natural history where men were swallowed, fishermen were swallowed by a great fish and one time by a whale, and they hunted the animal down and they found it and they killed it and they brought it on board and they cut the thing open and the guy was in there and he was still alive after multiple days. There are two accounts of this that we know of. So we know it could happen. And you ready for this? We don't need a logical way for Jonah to live in the fish's belly. 
We don't need a naturalistic explanation for it. If we want to believe he lived for three days, and then we can say it was a supernatural act of God. There is nothing wrong with that. Let me remind you that our faith is based upon supernatural acts of God. The creation account, the resurrection of Christ. These are not naturalistic. Jesus didn't just go into a coma and his heart rate slowed and they assumed he was dead, but it, yeah, you know, but he was actually alive. No, he died. And then he came back to life. Praise God. That is a miracle. That's what a miracle is when it defies nature, when it is supernatural. There's nothing wrong with us believing in a supernatural act of God. But this is the wrong question to ask. We should not ask the question, could Jonah live in the fish's belly? The answer is obviously he could. The question is, did he? And for that, we try to stick to what the Bible says. The reason it is important that Jonah died is because he had a resurrection experience. Jonah represents Christ. It is important that we believe Jesus actually died and that he had a resurrection experience as well. Who here believes Jesus was 100% dead? Okay, well, now let me ask you, is that important? Of course it is. If he wasn't dead, then guess what? He's just some dude. That's it. That's not special. This book doesn't say that he's just a guy. There are lots of great teachers and wise counselors and you know, guys that we read about, but that's not what we believe. We don't believe Jesus was just a guy. He was Messiah. He was the chosen one. He was the one that this whole book predicts was going to come. He is God. And he wasn't risen from the dead. He rose from the dead. See, through the Gospels, we find that Jesus rose someone from the dead. Someone died, Lazarus, and Jesus said, come forth, Lazarus, and Lazarus came forth. Jesus was the one that was raising someone from the dead. Nobody went to the tomb and said, Jesus, arise. That didn't happen. Jesus was dead, but he conquered death. He has power over death because he is God. It is important that we believe that Jesus died and then rose from the dead. In the same way, what I, what I propose to you folks is that it is important we believe that Jonah died because we believe that he had a resurrection, ex resurrection experience. We find, you know what, I didn't even write it down. I'm not going to get into it. We're, we got to keep moving. We got to keep chugging along here. Okay, so Jonah said that he cried out to God in verse 2. Then what? What else does verse 2 say? Jonah cried out to God, and God heard Jonah. Good job, Mac. That's important. Do you know? that no matter how far down the scale you have fallen, God hears your cries and will lift you up. If there is one lesson you are going to take home tonight, it is that there is no depth too low 
where God will not hear your cry and lift you up. First verse we're going to look up, James chapter 4, verse 10. This is an amazing verse. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. James 4.10 is a promise. Whenever we need to be lifted up, we only need to humble ourselves in the sight of God. Jonah is at his lowest point. He has been humbled. And as Jonah cries on to God, Jonah is lifted up. God hears his prayer, and it is all uphill from here. In verse 3, Jonah is recounting what happened to him, what God did to him, and he describes a very desperate and very lonely state. He was not comfortable. He was not excited. I can imagine being eaten by a fish and being thrown into the ocean and dying, and <laughs> he, was, he was not happy. In verse 4, this verse is so important. In verse 4, Jonah is saying that he was cast out of the sight of God. Okay, you ready, guys? We're going to have a whole bunch of questions here. And Jonah began to enter. Oh, sorry, in verse 3. So, no, I'm in chapter 3. Um, verse 4, then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. Why? Was Jonah cast out of the sight of God? What do you think? Jonah said, God, because remember, this whole thing is a prayer. This is all Jonah talking to God. So he is telling God, God, I was cast out of thy sight. Why do you think that is? Why was Jonah cast out of the sight of God? It sounds bad. Washington? Okay, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you one for that. That's what Jonah wanted. Jonah wanted to be cast out of the sight of God. What was God's original message for Jonah? Someone else other than, other than Washington. MacArthur? That's a wrong answer. Going to go ahead and mark that off. Go ahead, Mom. That was part of it. Go to Nineveh. Okay, how about this? Go to, go, to, go to chapter one. Let's look at verse two. We can quote it. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. That was it. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. That's what God told Jonah to do. What was Jonah's reaction? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Instead, he ran. He ran in the opposite direction. Jonah fled from God. Why did he flee from God? Now, there are two answers to this question. We've really only focused on one of them. I'd like to hear them both. Two answers. Why did Jonah flee from God? We're going to start with Moses. He did not want to die. That's correct. Can we agree that was one of the reasons he didn't want to go to Nineveh? We talked about Nineveh. They were one of the most wicked, violent most violent cities on earth. They were the enemies of the nation of Israel, and he was going to go into that city and tell them what for. He didn't want to die. What was the other reason he did not want to go to Nineveh? Wayne. Very good. 
Jonah was concerned. Now, we didn't get to this yet. It's in, it's in chapter four. We're going to get there. Jonah did not want the Ninevites to repent and for God to forgive them. Jonah was concerned that they might just do right. And he didn't want to see that. Now, why didn't he want to see that? Okay, he did. He was judge and jury. And by fleeing and not giving them the message, he was kind of executioner. But why did he not want to do it? Why didn't he want them to repent? Okay, he thought they deserved God's wrath. Why did he think they deserved God's wrath? They were evil. They were bad. They were, what's, what's the word? Who, who were they in comparison to Jonah? They were pagans. They were his enemies. They were two countries that hated each other. The, the Assyrian Empire did not like the Jews. What do they do to the nation of Israel? Washington? He, they did. What half? Very good. The Assyrians came in and they surrounded Samaria. They laid siege to it and they took away the northern half of the country into captivity and led them away into Assyria and they were never heard from again. And then later we find out that the king decides, hey, that went so well, I'm going to do the same thing down in Jerusalem. How did that go? It went horribly. <laughs> and we read about it's an amazing story. And God had a punishment for the southern kingdom uh, called Judah, and he had it set up, but it wasn't going to be by the Assyrians. The Assyrians surrounded Jerusalem. And one of my favorite stories in the Bible, God has a prophet stand up and say, not one arrow will fly toward Jerusalem. Hundreds of thousands of Assyrians have surrounded the city. They have already taken the northern kingdom captive and taken them away. They are the most powerful country on earth. They are a country so wicked and violent that when they would lay siege to your city, many cities would choose to turn their weapons on their own wives and children and then kill themselves rather than have their families fall into the hands of the Assyrians because of what a horrible, wicked fate they would have to endure if the Assyrians took over your city. That group surrounded Jerusalem and God sent a prophet and said, not one arrow will fly at my city. And that night, the angel of the Lord went out into the camp of the Assyrians and one angel killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. The king woke up and his entire army lay dead. All that were left were the cooks. I mean, that was it. And the king said, got it. And they packed up and they went home. God said, I have a judgment coming for the kingdom of Judah, but it's not you. 
and it's not going to be today. One of my favorite stories. Okay, see, this is why we don't get anywhere. All right. So that's why Jonah was fleeing from God. Didn't want to die. Didn't want the Ninevites to repent. So when Jonah was fleeing from God, his desire was for God to forget about him. In verse four, we see that Jonah got his wish. Jonah says, I am cast out of thy sight. Okay, so now what is Jonah saying? While he's praying, okay, we're on, we got through verse three, we're on verse four. He said, God, I've been cast out of your sight. And what else is he saying in verse four? He's going to look towards thy holy temple. Hmm. What's special about God's holy temple? I'm going to draw another picture. Hey, uh, Joseph or Moses, can you get me a rag or a napkin or something I can use to erase this? I want to not use my tie if I can. Okay, so here, this is the tabernacle that they have in the wilderness. And we could call it, it's very similar to Solomon's temple. It's a little bit different. Okay, and you have, um, you have, this is the holy place. And then in here you have the holy of holies. And this is the um, outer court. So this is the temple of God, a crude drawing, albeit, but there's not a whole lot that's going on in the temple. It's not, it's not huge. It doesn't have a lot of stuff going on, but it's very specific. What is special about God's holy temple? Washington? Okay, the Ark of the Covenant. Where is the Ark of the Covenant? Mac? In the holiest of holies. In this inner room, there are two items. The Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. The Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. That's it. How often does someone go into that room? Once a year. The high priest goes in there once a year. On what feast day? No. Nope. Carlos? Nope, that's a no. <laughs> Let me look it up on my phone. Mac? Nope. Nope. Wash? Nope. <laughs> it's okay. It's on Yom Kippur. It's the holiest day of the year for the Jews. The high priest would go into the Holy of Holies one day on that, uh, on that one feast day. Only once. It was very special. Nobody ever went in there. Okay. It was separated by this massive curtain, very tall, believed to be like a foot and a half thick, very big, very heavy. What was special about that curtain, Carlos? You got it. Okay, but what was special about, tell me what happened with that curtain. Jesus tore it in half. How, where was he when he did that? He was on the cross. Okay, and that was a special, that was especially significant because where there used to be one man, a priest, who was only allowed in there one day a year, and that was after a great amount of preparation and ceremony. 
Jesus was saying that is open. Anyone can go in there at any time. Now, there were two items that were in there. We already said uh, the uh, Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. For those of you that don't know what that is, think about Indiana Jones number one. Okay, that was the box with the lid. The Nazis had it for a while. They seemed to get all the cool stuff. I don't know how they did that. Okay, but that, that golden box, that's what the Ark of the Covenant was. And what was the mercy seat? Washington? It was the lid. And what was special about the lid, Joe? He doesn't know. Moses? It was gold, but that's not what I'm looking for. Mac? It did have two cherubs, but that's not what I'm looking for. Carlos? Mm-hmm. 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 Okay, very good. That is where God dwelt. When We read about that in 1 Chronicles, in the book of 1 Samuel. We read about that in the book of Isaiah. God who dwelleth between the cherubs. So they believed, the Jews believed, well, and they believed it because God said it, that God dwelt right there in between the cherubims. He does. In the book of Ezekiel, he literally leaves and the Jews see God leave and he never returns. Actually, that's not true. Okay, we're going to get there. Okay, <clears throat> not tonight. Now, <clears throat> this is important because Jonah is saying, okay, that I am going to look towards God's holy temple. God is there, specifically on the mercy seat. Jonah is saying he no longer desires to be away from God. He did. We can all agree he wanted away from God. He literally ran away from God. And he said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again. Verse 5 describes a level of hopelessness and despair. Jonah was powerless over his situation. There was nothing he could do. And in verses 6 and 7, this shows us more evidences that Jonah died and was in hell. Jonah, in verse 6, going down to the bottoms of the mountain, talking about going down deep into the earth. What is located down deep in the center of the earth? Moses? Hell. That's where the Bible says the location is. It is under the earth. It also says in verse 6 that there are the earth with her bars was about me forever, yet hath my life from corruption, O Lord my God. Do you know there's only What part of the earth is that? It's hell. Now, if you want to look it up, in 1 Peter 3.19, Matthew 16.18, and Revelation 1.18, those are three verses that describe hell, and it describes that there are bars, gates, and locks on it. Because Jesus talks about having the key to hell. Well, if you have a key to hell, what does that mean hell has? It's got to have a... <laughs> what else are you using a key for? 
Okay, now these are just neat things that you find as you're reading through the Bible, but you start to compile them and it gives you a little bit of a picture. Okay, in verse 7, when Jonah says his soul fainted, he is talking about an inability. He is in a state of hopelessness. Jonah remembers God's covenant with Israel. Jonah knows that he can turn back to God and God will hear his prayers. Whenever we read through the Old Testament, we find that God says, he says it to Abraham, he promises it to Isaac, he says it to Jacob, he says it again and again and again. He tells Moses, he tells Joshua, God tells them again and again and again, look, this is your land, this is your land, and you will always be in this land. And then God says, now, if you guys end up worshiping idols and just, you know, go off the reservation, you're going to be yanked out of that land. But I will remember my covenant and you will be able to get back there. And God told the nation of Israel this again and again and again. Remember, what when we talk about the covenant God made with Abraham, what is the important word that goes with that coven, covenant? It was a what. What type of covenant was it? So in Genesis chapter 12, and then in chapter 15, and then I think later on again in chapter 18, God reminds Abraham of the covenant. What are the parts of the what are the parts of the covenant? What are the promises God tells Abraham? There's a bunch of them. Give me one. Anyone? Mom? That he, will have, um, uh, he will have descendants. Okay. How many descendants? As numerous as the stars of the sky, also as numerous as the sand of the sea. Good. Okay. So what other what does God tell Abraham about this covenant? Okay, it's going to endure forever. What's that? Yep, the, and, and at the time, God says to Abraham, this is your land, where you are standing right now. He was in Canaan land. Okay, and he says, this is your land. And this land is tied to this group of people, and you will always have it. Now, here's the last one. When God first makes this promise to Abraham, he makes this covenant, and they do it in a way that was traditional at the time, where they take animals and they sacrifice them and they cut them in pieces and they make two piles. And then what would happen, it was called cutting a covenant. And the two people involved in the covenant would take the terms and they would walk through the pieces of this animal in a figure eight, reciting the terms of the covenant. And this was typically done in the presence of lots of people. So it was witnessed. Okay. But the only two people that were there were God and Abraham. And God said to Abraham, cut up these animals and make the piles. And we're going to have this covenant. And then we see that God reads the terms of this covenant, and while he does it, where was Abraham? MacArthur? He was on the ground sleeping. Why? Washington? No. 
I mean, he might have just fallen asleep. I don't know, but that's okay. What's the significance? Mom? Mm -mm. What's the word that goes before covenant? The covenant God made with Israel. And I don't know if that's how you spell covenant, so I'm just going to get that out there. Okay. It was a blank covenant. Mm -mm. No. What's the opposite of that, Nick? It was an unconditional covenant. Abraham did not have to fulfill any part. It was not based. Covenants are contracts. And typically, Louie and I have a contract, and I'm going to buy this thing from him, and we fill out a deed, and I give him the money, and he gives me the deed, and it's called fee simple. That's what we're used to in America. When we buy a piece of land, when we buy a house, that's the contract. You have a part, I have a part. You give me the thing, I give you the dough, bada bing, contract is completed. In this case, it was an unconditional covenant. God said, this is your land. No matter what, your descendants will inhabit this land. And from that time, until May of 1948, while every nation in the world tried to kill and exterminate the Jews, the Jews just finished getting through World War II, where one-third of the Jews on earth were rounded up and killed. And they get their land back a couple years later they go through the greatest persecution that they had since the time of the Maccabean revolt in the days of Hanukkah, where they were being summarily executed everywhere. And if someone stood up and say, hey, guess what? Jews are going to be back in their homeland one day. You say that in 1940? Who believes that? That is insane. That would be like going to Eisenhower and saying, hey, guess what? The Japanese in four years are going to take over part of America. No, they're not. They're starving to death. We just dropped the two biggest bombs in the history of the world on them. They are lining the seashore, awaiting an invasion with women and children holding pitchforks. You're telling me that they are going to be on top of the world in four years? That's insanity. But God promised Abraham. He says, this is your land and you guys are going to be there. It is the only time in the history of the world that a dead language was resurrected and used again in a country. That has never happened. It's their land. It's an unconditional covenant. No matter what happens, they will be there. 
And it's not like they had they don't have a bunch of neighbors that really want them gone. Cause they do. But it ain't gonna happen. I don't care what Vegas says are the odds of the Jews remaining there. My money is on Israel. Because God said it's an unconditional covenant. Friends, why is this important? It's important to us because Jonah at the lowest point knew that he could call on God and God would remember his covenant. We today can call on God. All right, in verse 9, we're going to try to move this along because we got five minutes to squeeze it in. Jonah is now glad to follow and obey God. Actually, let's go back one. Let's go back one. Verse 8, very quickly, Jonah reminds himself of those who follow after vanity. They forsake God's mercy and grace. Jonah is not only describing other people, he is describing what he used to be like. He is describing his failings. He was there just a short time ago. Those that observe lying vanities, they forsake their own mercy. That was where Jonah was, but he's not there anymore. In verse 9, he says he is now glad to follow and obey God. He will follow God with thanksgiving. And Jonah says, I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Okay, what's a vow? Promise to, to God. Not just a promise, promise to God. What do you think Jonah promised God? He's saying, I'm going to pay that that I have vowed. What do you think he vowed? Now, we don't know. So, I mean, it's just guesswork. There's no. Yeah, right. You'd think he's like, all right, God. I'm gonna... And, you know, I, that's what I first thought. I first thought, you know what? He vowed to go to Nineveh and he's going to follow through. He's going to do it. The more that I was thinking about this. What's that? See, and that's kind of what I was thinking was he came full circle. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, because I don't know. Are we talking about Jonah promising God something right then, a new vow, or are we going back? Because remember, what is Jonah? What's Jonah's title? He's a prophet. So he's been obeying God and doing God's work for years and years and years, right? But then what happened? What did he do? Ran in the other direction. Said, forget this, I quit, I'm out of here. Well, that's not really how it works. When you work for God, it's like working for the mob. You don't just get to set the terms, okay? You're in it. <laughs> now, glory to God, that's great. I'm glad I can't mess up and be out of this thing, okay? But my point is, Jonah made a vow when he started serving God as a prophet. And he's like, God, I'm back on the team. And I don't know if that's right, but it, it sure preaches well, so we'll go with it. Uh, I'm back. Yeah. 
And and the fact when what we're saying there is God doesn't move. It's not like God left us. Okay, we leave God, and then God's still there, and we can come back to Him at any time. No, correct. He it literally says he fled from the presence of God. He ran. He ran away. Literally. Okay, let's keep going. I want to squeeze this in. The last thing Jonah says in verse 9 is salvation is of the Lord. Jonah finishes his prayer to God by acknowledging who God is and how this whole thing works. Salvation is of the Lord. Now, this is important, and it, and we can't say this enough. I'm not going to heaven because of the good things I've done. Okay, I'm not going to heaven because of the church I belong to. What Jonah said is the case. Salvation is of the Lord. Jonah knows that if he is going to be saved from hell, it is because of the Lord. If the Ninevites are going to be saved from destruction, it is because of the Lord. If my soul, Patrick Hayes, is going to escape hell and receive salvation, it is going to be by calling on the Lord Jesus because salvation is of the Lord. That's why Jonah was brought to such a low and hopeless state. There's nothing he, was there something Jonah could do to escape the belly of hell as he describes it? Was there a secret passage he had to find? Was there a code word he needed to figure out? Did he need to work on getting enough XP to level up so he could get out of there? No, he was helpless. We have any gamers here? couple? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Joe. Very good. Okay. No, he was hopeless. He was going to be saved by the Lord. He had to call on the Lord. Okay. Verse 10. What does Jonah get in verse 10? Mac? Nope. I mean, that's true. That's a true answer, but that's not what I'm looking for. What did Jonah get in verse 10? That's also true. He got resurrected. Not what I'm looking for. Carlos, what did he get in verse 10? Okay, also true, not what I'm looking for. Boom! He got a second chance. We literally read in the next line, in, in chapter 3, verse 1, and the word of the Lord came on to Jonah the second time. Okay, now, do you know that as a Christian, we can get a do-over every day? What do they call it in golf? It's a mulligan. What's a mulligan? For those of us that think that golf is a great way to ruin a good walk. What's a mulligan, Joe? Okay, yeah. You shank one off into the, into the water. Everyone's like, ah, do it again. All right, throw out another ball. That stroke doesn't count. It's a do-over. You get another stroke. Do you know that as a Christian, we get an extra shot we get to hit the reset button. Anytime we are having a bad day, we can hit the reset button, we can go to God in prayer, and we can get our life back on track. Every day we get that. Okay, in Daniel 6.10, we read, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day, 
and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Now, without getting into the whole story about Daniel and what's going on there, it is important that we notice that it was his custom to pray three times a day. And all I'm saying is the opportunity is always available for the Christian. Stop what you're doing, hit the reset button, go to God in prayer, and feel better. Who, all of us have had a day where two hours into the day, we're like, yep, should have just stayed in bed. Stop what you're doing, hit the reset button, go to God in prayer, and feel better. The Christian can do that every single day. And anyone that's done it knows that it works. And I've had days when I do it 10 times in a day. We also get a weekly reminder to get back on track. And in Acts 15, 21, we read, For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. Now, again, I'm not going to get into the story of what was going on there, but Paul was reminding everybody that the word of God is preached one day every single week. And guess what? Here we are. We meet every week and we sit under preaching. We get a re weekly reminder that we need to hit the reset button. That is why church is so important. Once a week, we get around other believers and we're reminded, oh yeah, that's how I'm supposed to act. Oh yeah, that's what I'm supposed to believe. Oh yeah, I need to behave this way and I need to... We get a weekly reminder, hit the reset button. This is good for me. This is what God expects. This is what I need to do. We can even have a major life-altering reset if we need it. The book of Jonah... And the story of the prodigal son in the New Testament shows us that when we are way off track and our life is going in the complete opposite direction as God's will, we at any time can hit the reset button. We can humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift us up. Okay, we can make a change. When you hear the voice of God in your life, when God is putting pressure on you to take a step toward him, you can do it. It is never too late. There is no difficulty so insurmountable where you cannot stop and hit the reset button and go to God in prayer and get things right and be on the right path. I don't care how far down the path you have fallen. That is the great news of the book of Jonah. The one big takeaway from this book is don't act like Jonah. He's the worst example of a Christian, you know, or one of the worst examples in the Bible. He did everything wrong. But then he goes back to God and God picks him up, dusts him off. Hey, let's get right back to it. And Jonah says, great, I'm going to go home. <laughs> no, you're not. You're going to go to Nineveh, like I said in the first place. It's like, oh, yeah. The problem is, whatever the reason is we ran from God, yeah, it's still there. We still, we still got to deal with that, okay? But God is always there, and we can always get right with him. That's the great news. Mm -hmm. Okay. How many points do the teenagers have? Watch, she's going to be like 72, 14. Okay, that's enough for tonight. I don't need to ask you any further questions.
if you get over 10, you're doing great. I can only afford so much pizza. I've seen you boys eat. All right, we're going to have a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Nick, would you be so kind as to pray for us?